Thanks to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform, get the free guide. It's free! Get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com. It's Tuesday, November 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me in studio to explain everything that's going on today is Jim Mueller. Yeah, don't count on it. <laughs> hey, Chris. Um, we're going to get to Home Depot's earnings. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We will start with the big news of the day. And I think it's, I don't think it's just big news in our neck of the woods. I think this is the big business news of the day, and that is Amazon officially announcing that it has selected New York City. And Northern Virginia, specifically in Northern Virginia, Crystal City, for its two new offices. I personally will not be referring to them as headquarters. If they had just picked one city I and put fifty thousand employees there, I'd say fine. That's that's your second headquarters. But I'm not going. It's like two two new large offices, and they also announced a uh, a, uh, an operations base that they're opening in Nashville with about five thousand employees. Good for Nashville. Uh, No, Seattle still remains the headquarters of Amazon. So yeah, despite this, uh, uh, where is it? Uh, Long Island City in Queens mm-hmm. and uh, Crystal City, just up uh, the metro, a few stops from here. So yeah, why two? The, the earlier discussion was uh, it would be down in Austin or Dallas area, right? For the second one, uh, Crystal City was uh, pretty much chosen, uh, and that would. Let Amazon have some uh, exposure out in a uh, more conservative country and kind of balance their political leanings. But now they've got Seattle, the le- uh, the left coast, right, and they've got the D.C. area, Northern Virginia, which is very very uh, uh, liberal leaning, and New York City again liberal leaning. So maybe they're tripling down on that. I don't know. You know, it's so now this process is over, and I think it would be worth our taking a minute or two to just sort of look back and and ask among other things, how do we think this went? Um, and by the way, I just I noticed on Twitter right before we started taping uh, the phrase "national landing" yeah. was was trending on Twitter, and I thought, well, what is that? And that's Amazon is apparently. Branding its location in Northern Virginia as National Landing. They're not even here yet. I mean, and they're, and they're renaming parts of the. Right. Respectfully, they're not here. And also, no one who lives in this area is going to refer no, to it as no. National Landing. It's Crystal City, and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but now that we've gone through this whole process, what impressions are you left with? Because one impression I had when the whole thing started. Just about a year ago, when they announced, "Here are the 20 cities on our list," my first reaction then remains to this day, which was, "That's way too many cities." When they when they came out and said, "We've we've come up with our finalists and it's 20 cities," I looked at that list and thought, "I can cross at least five off immediately," right. and I'd be happy to bet a large chunk of money that it won't be these cities. Right. I mean, besides the entertainment value of the whole thing. Uh, William Shatner had a great voiceover for Chicago in their video. Uh, Kansas City's uh, mayor wrote a thousand product reviews for Amazon as part of their pitch. I mean, setting all that aside, which is awesome on its own, but still, yeah, the short list, a million population, good public transport, uh, airport that goes to Seattle, that's all good. And quite a few cities match those. But why bother and why make it so public? I mean, yeah, it gave those cities a way to tout toot their own horns, and they might benefit from either a smaller uh, uh, 
office space or, or location from Amazon, but other businesses might also say, hey, they, they missed out on Amazon, but we kind of like what they do. So there's that, but I, I think they had the, the top five done like a year, year and a half ago, saying, we're going to focus on these areas. So it's interesting to see how, now that the process is over, some pretty big name columnists, Kara Swisher, Scott Galloway, yeah. Derek Thompson coming out and, and sort of taking Amazon to task, um, fairly or unfairly, saying, look, they knew all along. This was kind of a charade. This was, you know, some people are using, you know, the phrase "con job" that sort of thing. I, that that to me, uh, and who knows? They, they they may have known all along, but that that ascribes a malintent that I'm I'm sort of reluctant to to put on Amazon. And I and and part of that has to do with this last minute switch, and it is seemingly last minute because. For a very long time, the whole conversation was: we're looking for one city, and we're going to put fifty thousand employees there. And it's really only in the last two weeks that it's come out; it's going to be two cities. Right, and they and they justify that by saying we don't want to put too big a burden into the area because uh, fifty thousand new jobs is a lot of housing, a lot of transportation, a lot of heavy traffic, and already the Crystal City traffic is is really pretty bad. Uh, but yeah, it, it might have been known a lot further ahead of time. One of our colleagues I was talking uh, this morning with said she had seen, uh, they bought a house in the Crystal City area, and she had seen, uh, you know, the construction drapes over the buildings, uh, and not just your your brown canvas. These were polka dot. And so, and, and, but those have been up there for the last year or so, and so maybe they had already chosen, and uh, something big was coming to Crystal City, but nobody was saying who, and... Uh, now it's Amazon. I think if you're an Amazon shareholder, uh, your whatever reputational ding Amazon takes from this, and I don't know if it's if it's long lasting. I I think as a shareholder, you have to feel pretty good about these choices. But I'll just speak for myself. There were a bunch of cities on that list that I sort of looked at and thought, well, that makes sense to me. And I'll, I'll yeah. just say, it, like one li- one city that was on the list of 20 uh, right off the bat that I thought, there's no way it's going to be there, was Los Angeles. And that's not right. a knock on Los Angeles, but I just thought, well, if their headquarters is in Seattle, I'm, I don't see what the advantages are to putting another huge office on the West Coast. There were, there were cities, as you mentioned, Dallas was a city I looked at, and right. I thought, well, that would make sense. Atlanta would make a lot of sense, too. Chicago, yeah. Many of those would make sense. Um, Miami, I'm not not quite so sure about uh, Newark, New Jersey, but that's basically just outside. That's close to New York, so New York had two or three in the running. I crossed Miami off the list right off the bat because I thought Jeff Bezos is someone who is building a or having built for him a 10,000 year clock. I don't think someone who's building a 10,000-year clock is buying beachfront property, is, is putting no. a huge office in Miami. No, what he bought was a $23 million home in the D.C. area. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's move on to some earnings. And Home Depot shares are down a little bit today. And I think you and I are both scratching our heads wondering why, because this third quarter report for Home Depot, it was a strong quarter. And they raised revenue guidance for the full fiscal year. They raised revenue. They raised earnings guidance for the full fiscal. They raised comps guidance for the full year. So, real quick numbers: they got a 5.1 percent increase in revenue to about 26 billion dollars, just barely ahead of the street's estimates. Comps was 4.8 with 5.4 percent in the U.S., which is nice and solid. 
Uh, net income was up 32 percent uh, to 251 a share. That beats uh, the street's guess of 226 quite handily. And then they raised sales, comps guidance, and diluted EPS growth uh, for the full for the rest of the year. One more quarter, um, and the shares are down what three percent or so. Yeah. And it's not like this stock, no. for for as as great as it has done over the last say ten years, twenty eighteen has not been a great year for shares of Home Depot. No, they're down two percent or something uh, up up and up through last night uh, before the earnings release. Maybe it had some has something to do with the housing market. I mean, we've had stories over and over. September saw where's the number five percent something like that drop in new home starts. Um, and they re- and they revised downward August numbers. Uh, I do know that a good number of the analysts, uh, the first four for sure, and then a fifth one later on, out of the dozen or so on the call, talked about housing on on the call. And, and uh, management was saying, "Look, guys, these we're, we're selling stuff, and people are <laughs> and people are moving up in in price points and in uh, to newer products and and." Uh, and even in the bad areas like LA, where it's really expensive to live, their sales are growing. So, whether it's higher housing prices uh, driving people to improve their homes, or, or I, I don't know, but uh, their their model says, and they were they're very upfront, our directionally correct but inaccurate model <laughs> is telling us that sales are going to continue to grow. So we raised guidance. So depending on how granular. Investors want to get with a retailer. Yes, we talk about revenue and earnings and that sort of things, but even when you go a couple levels deeper with Home Depot's latest quarter and you look at things like sales per square foot, overall transactions, the average ticket price, yeah. all of those were up. Yeah, ticket was up three and a half percent. So I'm I'm wondering if at least some of the if not skepticism, then some of the questions about Home Depot from these analysts were focused not just on the individual consumers like people like you and me, but on the contractor side of the business. Because that's that's a healthy chunk of Home Depot's business. I don't off the top of my head know what percentage that is, but I know it is a not insignificant chunk of their business. No, I think that actually might be the larger part of their business. Uh, but they were saying contractors are growing. Uh, their online business is growing. Of uh, what do they say? Forty. Uh, let's see, online comps, twenty-eight uh, percent growth uh, for the quarter. Uh, they they're seeing higher conversion rates by double digits compared to last quarter. The uh, modestly bigger tickets. Uh, one of the things they think that might be helping that is that uh, delivery schedules are getting. Better and better. They've, they've been working on something called responsive delivery. Uh, I think I think that's the right phrase. Uh, and they can now, depending on the zip code, get you down to the day of the delivery, uh, and that really helps contractors, especially when they're planning multiple things going on at at, at a property. Quick shout out to NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy to use cloud platform. If you're running a business, you know that your business is your own. It's it's not like anyone else's. And fortunately, this is not some one-size-fits-all kind of software. With industry-specific support for a broad range of business, NetSuite works the way that your business works. And thousands of the best-known brands and fastest-growing companies use NetSuite to manage their business. And now it's available to you. It's the power of the world's most popular cloud management system, and it's more affordable than you think. And right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insights to overcome the obstacles that are holding you back for free. You can save 
time and money by managing sales, finance, accounting, orders, and HR instantly, right from your desk or phone. So, get the free guide, Crushing the Five Barriers to Growth, at netsuite.com slash fool. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. Our Twitter handle is at marketfoolery. And if you want to drop us a question on either one of those platforms, please do so. Question from Ian Granger in Bristol, the one in England, not the one in Connecticut, for all you ESPN fans. Uh, Ian writes, What happens to an S&P 500 ETF like VUSA when a company leaves and a new one joins? Uh, and he refers to the, um, the recent reports that Tesla uh, is being eyed as a potential addition to the S&P 500 index. Uh, so, Ian's asking, does this update right away, or is it the next quarter? Well, the too-long-didn't-listen answer to that is, <laughs> it happens right away. So, Ian, you can turn off the radio now. <laughs> so, actually, um, there have been the S&P changes a lot, and I, and I found some uh, uh, commentary from uh, senior members of the S&P, like uh, Dr. David Blitzer, who at least in 2014 was the managing director and the chairman of the index committee. So he's kind of in charge of the whole thing. Um, they they consider a lot of things uh, when they're adding a company to the uh, to to the index, and it's not strictly the 500 largest companies in the U.S. It's not that. The company does have kind to of like Home Depot management said it's directionally correct, <laughs> right? <laughs> but it's inaccurate, right? So I mean, the requirements to be in the S and P uh, a certain size, four to five billion, is usually the lower end of it. Uh, it has to have enough liquidity. Has to have a minimum float of about fifty percent of the shares available for trading. And I have a short story uh, about that in just a second. Profitability, balance sheet, a part of an emerging industry that's becoming an important part of the market, and so on. So, um, what happens is, the day before the new company uh, comes in and it replaces somebody who's going out, either because they went bankrupt, they got purchased, uh, they're going private, or they just uh, dropped to, to be too small. Those are several reasons why a company might go out. Um, indexes and ETFs, uh, index funds and ETFs that are tracking the S&P tend to buy a lot of the new company. In fact, the vast majority. I looked at a couple of examples. For instance, Rollins, uh, the guys behind uh, the Orkin Man for uh, bug control, um, a company I happen to own shares of, they were they joined on October 1st, and the day the trading day before that was September 28th. 25.6 million shares traded hands when the normal range is a million or less. <laughs> Okay, so that's more. Yeah. So, and Fortinet, the same thing. They joined on October 11th. On the 10th, they traded 33.4 million shares when their range is one to two and a half million on a normal day. So, um, so it happens right away. They don't. They don't wait to the end of the quarter. And um, getting back to the the story about the the minimum float. It's an actively managed index. It has a committee of uh, members uh, from Standard and Poor's figuring out who's going to be on, why they should be added, uh, and and what companies should drop. But for instance, uh, Blitzer uh, related an uh, interesting story in 2014, after Lehman filed for bankruptcy. Uh, 
AIG was being bailed out by the U.S. Treasury, and the U.S. Treasury bought like 90% of the shares, okay? Well, that left only 10% for the float, and they have this 50% rule. And they said, well, what's going to happen if we drop AIG from the index right in the middle of this horrible mess that the market is uh, seeing? And that's going to send a horrible signal. So they suspended that rule for AIG, and a few years later, after the Treasury had sold the shares back to the public, it had recovered and, and... and so the 50% rule came back into effect for them. You mentioned that one of the requirements for addition to the S&P 500 is profitability. And I think that, as much as anything, is what people are watching with respect to Tesla. Because yeah. it's, it's not just profitability, it's the most recent five quarters. Yeah. There, there's that, uh, and also a going concern. So uh, they're not too worried that Tesla is going to go uh, out of business or bankrupt anytime soon. So, uh, But as far as I know, it's just rumors. I'm, I'm not sure. What, where that stands. Uh, before we wrap up, I uh, just want to say uh, thank you to Stan Lee, not just for his uh, oh, yeah. s- service to our country, but also for uh, being one of the great creators of the last 50 years. And for anyone who's watched uh, a Marvel movie, or for anyone who's a Disney shareholder and has seen what Marvel has done uh, for the business of the Disney company. No, now, more, no more cameos. So, I read something this morning. Um, uh, first of all, 95 years old. That's yeah. <laughs> amazing. Oh, yeah. um, apparently, Stan Lee filmed cameos for all of the Marvel for the three Marvel movies that are coming in 2019. Oh, that's awesome! So he will continue to be on the big screen uh, long after he has departed this earth. So, Jim Mueller, thanks for being here. Thank you, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>